0: It was written that you failed. You know, that report card that came in. It was written that job evaluation, you underperformed, you need improvement, your, your job style was unsatisfactory. It was written, you know, that loan document that you're trying to get, denied. It was written that medical diagnosis that you have that infamous C word, cancer. It was written by the judge at family court that your divorce is final because of irreconcilable differences. I think I said that right. It was written in criminal court just down the hall that you're a felon, that you're a criminal, and that you deserve to go to jail. And finally, it was written by the psychiatrist that you will have clinical depression. Thus saith the world, but God, I love my mom's house, but God, my mom's got this wall, and many have maybe have seen it, but she has this wall, and it says, but God, and it's got all these things that she's done in her life. When God intercedes, and there's this moment where you realize, but God can do wonderful things, God intercedes, and this isn't the end of your story. You might have cancer, you might have to go to jail, you might have depression, but that doesn't mean that your story doesn't doesn't end there. Words don't define you, God defines you. I think of my sister did a class a a year and a half ago or two years ago about identity. God's words define you. Man's words, even though they might be true, don't define you for who you are through eternity. God has written words specifically for you so that you can become the truest and purest you, the best you in this world. My story has been rewritten by God because God and his words changed my life when I started to make his words a part of my life. I don't know if you've realized this in life, but words have a ginormous impact in our life. I go back to that class that my sister was teaching. I was sitting there and I was thinking about simple but dumb words that we use as we're parents and as we're in friendships that really have an impact, good and bad, in our life. Don't be stupid. Don't do that, dummy. We say simple things and they end up having a lifelong impact in our life. How often does an attaboy or saying something good really change the way that your marriage is? when you encourage your spouse or your kid or your parent. Words have a ginormous impact. So what do we do? We look to the Bible. Uh, The Bible is a story. It doesn't mean that it's a fable. It means it's a story. It's a story of God and God's creation coming together. And it's a story going through the history of time. What makes this story so cool and so wonderful and truly alive is the story hasn't ended. Isn't that crazy? The story hasn't ended and even better, I'm in the story and you're in the story and there's words for you and I to have to make our life whole and complete. Today we continue on this journey through real faith and real relationships. We are a church trying to experience God and experience real faith and real relationships as we travel through the book of 1 John, going verse by verse and using the text to see where's your faith and where's your relationships towards God and towards other people. So today we're going to open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to go down about middle of the road and we're going to start at verse 12. We're going to use six verses to talk about these written words, these words that we have in the world versus what God has for us in his word. So let's open up. Then we'll pray and we'll get on this journey of talking about real faith and real relationship with God today. 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 12 says this, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Let's just pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we love you and we are so grateful for the words that you have written. And right now I ask, Lord, that you put a spirit of hunger for the word of God for those people watching online. Lord, I pray that this community that's online is growing faithfully, that they're growing in the text, they're growing in spirit and in prayer and then sharing. And Lord, I pray that you give them the boldness to experience Jesus even more and share the gospel via social media or with other people. Lord, use this ministry that we have online for your glory. And right now, speak to someone's heart as we talk about words from the world versus words from God. We thank you, Lord, and ask that you speak boldly in the name above all names. That name is Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here today, gathering and celebrating. So it starts with this. I am writing you. John is writing a letter, and he's writing to a group of people that are trying to grow in their faith with God, trying to have a real faith walk and a real relationship with God. And he says, I'm writing to you words. Words that have great meaning. Words are everywhere in our society today. They're posted on billboards. They're on social media. They're on bumper stickers. We see them in our house and letters. We get all kinds of words and we're bombarded with words. They are everywhere. And you know why? Because it's the most powerful form of communication in this world. If you've ever been in counseling with me or if we have ever had some tough moments, I say, write it down, do an inventory. Or I'll say, write a letter and let's deal with that letter after you've written it and gone into a deep space with God in your mind and soul. The written word is powerful. We need to pay close attention to words, the good words and the bad words, and we need to realize how impactful they are in our life. You might need to look at your whole life over the next seven days and say, what words am I receiving that are negative, And where am I receiving those positive words? Especially if you're just not right with God and not right in your life and not right in that walk with God. So it says, I'm writing to you little children, and what that really means is that's to all of us. When, when John writes little children, we all began just like everyone else as new believers in Jesus Christ. Everyone since the beginning uh, of, of our faith walk in Christianity, somebody shared the gospel, they became born again, and they were what we call little children uh, uh, in their Christian walk. As we enter this spiritual relationship with God, or in Christ, we should be amazed about the forgiveness of our sins. John doesn't bring some new theology or something new in chapter 2. He goes back to the basics, the foundation of Christianity, and he talks about the being amazed with the forgiveness of our sins, thanking Jesus for the sacrifice. There's a Greek word that talks about this karyos moment, and we've seen it uh, kind of posted over the last nine months, maybe through society, but here is a karyos moment. If you call yourself a believer, this is a moment where you can stop and thank Jesus Christ. Thank be to God and worship Him for who He is. Thank Him for what He has done because He has forgiven your sins. Forgiveness is the foundation of our faith, and if you can understand that and be grateful for that, your life has an opportunity. So let's just stop. Let's just stop and think about what that means. He was beaten, but not destroyed. He was crushed and bruised and pierced, but not knocked down. He actually went to the cross and died, but he didn't stay dead because the grave can't hold him. Jesus's blood was shed so that we can be right with God and our sins can be forgiven. That's the moment where we need to celebrate. This is where we should stop and really ponder what our faith in God is really about. When we see how great our sin was, when we see how great the cost of of, of our sin cost God through His Son, we see that forgiveness is the essence of Christianity, and we then must be obsessed with the gratitude that our sins are forgiven. Are you obsessed with gratitude because your sins have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ? That's what John is communicating as we are trying to get into that place of real faith. I am grateful for the blood of Christ. And as I think about it, I well up in my heart and in my soul going, man, I just don't realize what the cost was. We need to be obsessed right now. Now the next verse in verse 13 kind of brings up two subgroups and uh, maybe in your Bible it talks about fathers and young people but in the NLT I am a NLT New Living Translation fan not because I think it's the greatest translation there's actually others I think are closer to the actual original Greek but it's a if you you look at the slide up here it's a, a thought by thought through the Greek mind and through the Hebrew mind and it's it's a little bit different and a lot of times when you look at the NLT you will see it spelled out exactly what the Greek is versus what the actual English word is and here you're gonna see it spelled out and that's one of the reasons that I love the NLT a little bit later I'm gonna bring in the NIV because I think it has a better translation but the NLT is a great uh, Bible uh, that, translation that you should look at i suggest it it's easy to listen to it's easy to read and it's the best to be preached from the pulpit that's why it was written but here's what it says and i'll explain it as we go through he says i am writing to you who are mature in faith which actually in your text maybe say uh, for the fathers in faith because you know christ who existed from the beginning so this translation might say in yours, to, I, I'm excited to write to you the fathers, really what that means in the Greek is those that are mature in faith. And it says, because you know Christ who existed in the beginning. John wrote that in John chapter 1, we talked about that in the first week. In the beginning he was with God and he is God. Now what is he saying here, these men and women that he's talking about, these fathers aren't actually physical fathers in the church they're actually people that are mature men and women that have this long spiritual journey and they've had this kind of walk that just doesn't come overnight you've seen them at church before you know those people that just walk with a, a, a spiritual peace that you've never seen before. I've seen uh, people walk back into church after they've lost a loved one, or you know, lost a child, and they come to church and they have this peace or this grace about uh, uh, within them that you've never seen before. It's because it's not the faith they have is real, and it hasn't come overnight. These are what they call the mighty oaks in Isaiah chapter 61. These mighty oaks that have had their roots grown big and strong into the the heart of God. And that comes from His Word. As their roots grow down, that, that growth comes over time, years and years of experiencing God daily through the trials and the triumphs, through the death and the divorces, through the denials of loans and through the acceptances of college, through the failing report cards, to the, the glory of, of marriage and, and marriage certificates, they've grown like mighty oaks. So, in this text, the fathers means mature followers, and it's talking about men and women within the church. And then, verse 13b, the second part, it says, I'm writing to you who are young, yours might say young people in faith, but young in faith because you have won the battle of the evil one. Here, what we see in the NLT, he's talking about those that are not children, little, little, little children or babies still feeding on milk, now they're young. And when we talk about young, we're talking about 17, 18, 19, 20, 30-year-old young people. They're the front-line workers for the kingdom of God. They're the ones that do all the lifting. They're actively uh, practicing their faith, learning to live for Jesus every day, and seeing the victories and, 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 and the trials and still having Jesus as Lord. My discipleship program is three words, believing, following and discipling. And here it's really that person, that young person, that's taking the word and and living it out and truly starting to follow the the Bible and follow God and really cling to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when they do that, that is a great victory. Now, why are they called young? We don't send our little children out to war and we don't send our older folks. You know who you are. We send our young, you know, the 17, 18, 19, 20, we send them out, and I think you can get into the army maybe up to 38 years old. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's the right number. But we send out our young because they give us the greatest effort, they have the greatest strength. You remember what you felt like when you were 20? You got a different strength then than you do today. And also, they also give the greatest cost because there's nothing worse to see a young man or woman die in the battlefield at the age of 20 going, man, they missed so much of life. But also then you should reflect and think about your freedom and about who's going out for battle for you and how people are going and fighting for that. It just really kind of gets very deep when you think about it. And, and John is talking about those young, faithful people who have won the battle over the evil one. Are you winning that battle? Now I wonder, as I sit back and think about this, I wonder why so many Christians kind of sit in this baby Christian mindset, kind of as little children, never really graduating and moving in their faith. I, I, it kind of blows me away, but as I, as I read this text, I really got an eye-opening of what God was kind of showing me, which is we tend to stay as little children because we don't want to grow up. Listen, if you were in kindergarten and you received your little diploma to go to first grade, if, if that's where you stayed for the rest of your life, life education-wise, you would be lost in this world. And I'm not talking about just going from first to 12th grade in college. I'm talking about learning a a trade and a skill so you can make a living. We don't just stop at five years old and say, this is the last time I'm going to learn. But a lot of us do in our Christian faith. We stop at first grade or second grade and we never graduate or get to that 12th grade or that bachelor or AA or master or doctorate. Listen, here's what I know. I'm still learning every day because of who God is. We can't just rely on the church to feed us. It's just not enough. We need to learn to self-feed and become deeper and grow in our faith. We need to do more on our own with God and that's the type of people, those young people that he's talking about. Now verse 14 is a little bit different, maybe in your translation. There's also a 13 and another one, but here's what it says in the NLT, verse 14. I have written to you who are God's children because you know The Father. Now, here again, we see this repetition. John is using uh, the word little children, but if you look at the Greek, the English language is so limited, but if you look at the Greek, there's two different words for little children. In verse 12, which we just read a couple of minutes ago, it's technia. But in verse 14, what we just read is Paideon. Technia is uh, emphasizing on this little child that has this dependent relationship with the parent, but they stay there and it's a positive thing. This one in verse 14, Paideon actually talks about a child that's immature and is need of instruction. And that child, even though they might be growing, never really grows beyond that instruction. It's like a 26-year-old that you can't leave at home because you're worried that they're going to burn the house down or they're going to destroy something. They're stuck in this mentality and they need constant supervision. And so here in this second verse... uh, When he's talking about little trial, one is relying on God. The other one is immature, stuck in a supervision role. And John is trying to bring that out saying we can't be stuck in this supervision role. We can't be stuck in first grade. We've got to continue to move forward in our walk with Jesus Christ. Verse 14b says this, I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. Didn't we just read that? Well listen, repetition strengthens and confirms good and bad behaviors. Here we're going to talk about repetition, but repetition strengthens behavior. If I decide to start vaping right now, within four to six weeks I'll be vaping full time and thinking it's a part of my life. That's repetition that negatively affects my life and it also can be a positive thing. John now repeats himself for the sake of emphasis. Sometimes the Bible emphasizes certain things and maybe we should wake up and highlight and get our pen out and take some notes and see what is God really doing. John brings a new thought that he introduces which deals with the Word of God residing within us. He's trying to challenge us to look at the Word of God and make it reside within us. Now sometimes as we become mature in faith, have you ever had this thought as you've been in your faith walk with Christ that There's got to be more to faith and, and, and real faith and real relationships than this. Don't you get stuck in that mindset sometimes even though you've been in Christ 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years? But the truth is a mature believer, a mature follower knows that Christ is enough. The cross is sufficient. His resurrection was once and for all, and that power is here today. So when we are mature, we don't let that thought manifest. We kill it going, Jesus is enough. Jesus is good. The cross is powerful and the resurrection is alive and well. And it's here today. Paul would say in some of his writing that all of the other stuff, it's rubbish it's garbage it's the worst type of rubbish they call it toilet paper that's been used it's not a good thing Here's the final part of verse 14. He says, I have written to you who are young in faith because you are strong, young in faith because you are strong. And then it says the word of God lives in your heart. It resides, it settles, it dwells, it manifests, and you have won the battle with the evil one. This is such a critical section. When you're young in faith and you're on the front line and you're using the word, and the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way. This is when the word is dwelling and moving and the, the active part of your faith is really kind of powerful. You know, the most people that invite people to church are those in their first five years of Christianity. After about five years, we quit inviting people to church. We just kind of, we surround ourselves with Christians and we don't know any new believers or we don't know any people out there in the real world, so to speak. And we just quit inviting people. But those people that are young, that are following, they constantly are bringing in new people. Are you really fired up and bringing in new people to the Kingdom of God. It really helps us grow in our faith walk with Christ. Here again is the idea of repetition. It's indicating an emphasis. These young faith have overcome the evil one through the Word of God, the victory of Jesus Christ. It's done by them drawing strength out of the Bible. Could you imagine that just black and white words on a page could actually draw strength and draw you out of something that's been clinically, dep- clinically given to you from a doctor. Depression can be battled through the Word of God. Cancer can be battled through opening up and reading and finding solace and peace no matter what you're going through. This is a source of life and in this is a source of victory. Jesus Christ is your and my victory, and John is constantly shouting at us and our hearts and souls that the Lord is good and Christ is sufficient. God's words are here for our strength, and we are blessed because of what he's done and forgiven because of of the work that was done upon the cross. So what happened? The Word of God abides or resides within us. These young followers that John writes in verse 14 at the end, they have finally grown into a place where their faith has started to experience maturity. Faith grows, you become this little child, this little believer and over time you start to go to church and tithe like Kim was talking about, you start reading a little bit, you start plugging in and going to community groups and the Bible becomes more of your life and now you're called a follower and the difference between a follower and a discipler, a disciple starts to grow and take somebody with them says, hey, I'm going to walk with this person, and I'm going to bring this person to church. I'm going to invite that person. And now they're a disciple-making machine, and that's when maturity really starts to set in. I love what Psalm 1:19:11 says. It says, I have hidden my word in your heart that you might not sin. Last week, Jeremy was talking about obedience. We have to hide the words in our heart so that we might not sin. So when you have a wicked or evil thought or if you have darkness rising up in your heart, when you hide the word within you, you have the opportunity to go, man, I probably shouldn't do that. I should probably just go home. I should probably just say no. I should probably just open up my word or just leave the place or the situation, leave that temptation and let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit bring you into a right place. So before we move on to the last couple of verses today, I want to do a little bit of reflection. Do you consider yourself a a, a young follower, strong in faith? Do you consider yourself a mature follower, one of the fathers they called about in your translation? The the, the strong ones are the ones that are really putting themselves out there to do spiritual work, to to be useful for the kingdom of God. Are you really useful for the kingdom of God? Are you putting the work in? Are you allowing the spirit to, to lead you? Or do you resent your strength that's being tested or developed or matured by God? Do you resent that? Do you struggle with that? Do you hate that part of it? It's like, why does God have to continue to to put me through tough places in my life and hold me back from truly trying to understand what God is trying to do? That's what our job here is to do, is to understand what God is trying to do. Here's the last thing. Do you resent uh, being a child of God? Are you stuck in this little image of Christ? Are you stuck just being a kindergartner and haven't really grown in years? Is that really the fight that you're fighting? You're just fighting yourself and you're in your way. It's time for you to move farther down the road. Use the word, let God dwell, and let God work for you and start to win your battles day in and day out. All right, let's move to verse 15. It says this. Do not love the world. Everybody say, Do not love the world. Put it in the chat bar. Uh, Let our host kind of get excited. Put a thumbs up. Do not love the world. Why? Well, we're going to see why. Nor things it offers for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. We can't love the world and love the father. At the same time, there's no room in your heart. God doesn't reside in darkness and sin. And so when you're loving the world and not loving the father, he's like, well, I guess I'm going to stay on the outside looking in. You can't have, you can't be in both places. John has told us in chapter one that if we walk in sin or if we walk in darkness, we aren't in fellowship. We aren't right with God. We aren't in this, in this right relationship with God. And, and, and so now he's talking about the world. Now, is he talking about the physical round world that we see from space? No, he's not talking about that world. He's not actually talking about the humans on the earth either, the mass humanity of 7.5 or 7.6 billion people. What he's talking about is the element of sin or evil that rules and reigns over our society, over humanity, the darkness, the oppression. It's actually the work of Satan. Satan. The spiritual darkness that rules this world. And go back to verse 14, those young in faith, those that are strong in the word, the key victory is knowing the word and and seeking Jesus, that's the solution. Verse 16, very famous, very popular, here's what it says. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These aren't from the Father, but these are from the world. Now, truthfully, I actually like the NIV. I think it reads a little bit better there, but here is actually what the Greek says. But the NIV, if you see it up here, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but they come from this world. Well, what does that mean? Well, it talks about we have cravings. We have these physical pleasures that we crave, whatever you are. It doesn't have to be negative or sexual or you know evil. It could just be chocolate or you know, dancing or whatever, but it can still create distance between you and God. It could be something that we're craving. You know, the coveting in our life is a huge sin. And we kind of just, brush it off in Christianity, but the the, the lust of our eyes are a critical one and the pride of our achievements and for possessions, these aren't from our Father. The characteristics of the world express itself through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and, and, and the pride of life. These lusts, they draw us out into a dark place, into an abyss, into a deep hole where one day you wake up at 50, 60, and 70 years old. You might have a mast, a house and a car and maybe a wife and kids or a husband and, and, and a 401k, but you're miserable. You're in a room with people, but you're as lonely as you've ever been because you've been lusting with the eyes and, and, and with the heart and you've been prideful and you really haven't been right with God. Consumerism, it's really about all of that. The enemy knows what our heart is tricked by, and that's why consumerism is rampant. Not in just the church, the church right now in Southern California is totally consumerism. I didn't like that message, they didn't play my favorite worship song, I saw they did at this church, and so people's church shop. We don't need to church shop, we need to bring new Christians into church and stay put and plant and watch the kingdom grow when we're all invested in a church. We need to make the church the way that we want to worship. And the only way we can do that is by people coming to the church and making it their home and, and, and investing in it. Consumerism is our focus. It's a lust. and And isn't that what social media is? It seems like social media is completely for the enemy. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. That's all it is. And we are obsessed. And all we're doing on social media, we got to have content. Even at our church, we're like, we got to get our YouTube page and get content on there. We got to get stuff because we want people to have stuff to watch, more stuff to buy, more stuff to put on, more money, more this, more is better. And that's the lust of this world. And we can't love that and love God in the same space, it's not possible. This brings us to that level of pride, that pride in life, which means someone views themselves more important than other people. You ever seen that? You got the grocery store and some guy walks right up and cuts people off, I'm sorry, I'm in a hurry. It's like, really? Everybody else doesn't have stuff to do? It, Pride, prideful, uh, a prideful lifestyle is really detrimental to the kingdom of God and your walk with God. Verse 17, I love this. It says, And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. The world is fading away with, as well as everything that we crave. But the one who does what pleases God will live Forever, Do you realize that the world is crumbling? You don't because the media and social media and all the news channels are telling you we're evolving and we're getting faster computers and we're getting going to space and people are up there and Bezos is follow, uh, circling the planet. Who cares? You realize that the world is crumbling. It's just slowly deteriorating even though we think we're evolving. But whoever does what God wants us to do pleases Him. Isaiah writes in the prophetic words, Isaiah 40 verse 8, it says, the grass withers and the flowers fail or fall, but the word of God endures forever. This world, even though we act like we're kind of spinning and doing such wonderful things like nobody's ever done, it's actually crumbling and failing, but the word It will last forever. Here's what Jesus says. It says, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law or God's word will disappear until his purpose is fully achieved. The only thing that's going to stand at the test of time is the word of God. This is it. The world is going to crumble. Buildings are going to be shattered. There's going to be a new heaven and a new Jerusalem. And the only thing that's going to stand the test of time is the Word of God. And if you dust it off and you start using it, you too will be there when that test of time comes. This is the only thing. The world is crumbling. And God is the only thing that is the solution, the victory. Those young who are strong find victory over the evil one. How powerful verse 14 is. We crave written words in this world, credit scores and degrees and promotions. We crave acceptance letters to college. Paycheck stubs, oh, do we crave the paycheck stubs? Stocks and bonds and 401ks, we crave it. But at the end of time, all of that's gonna fail. That's not going with you when you meet your maker. That's all staying and someone else is gonna blow it. Your kids or your aunt or your neighbor, they're gonna blow your inheritance. We crave things from this world. That's why we can't love the world in verse 15, 16 and 17. And we also crave words from this world. But really, does the world ever give us words that we really want to hear? What would I? Every word I get is, I'm dumb. I'm not qualified. I'm dyslexic. Uh, you know, I'm not gifted enough. I'm I'm not the right person. This isn't the right time. That's not your role. Stay in your own lane. That's what the world always says. There's like 10 to 100 negatives before one attaboy in the world. We just don't get that from the world because the Bible says, What? The world hates us. We must crave the written word of God, the beauty of it and the the righteousness of it. We need to make it part of who we are. Listen to it. You know, watch TV and there's the the book of John and the book of Mark. It's word for word. You can watch it if you're not a good reader. You must crave the word of God. It's the living word and Jesus comes alive in the living word and becomes part of our life. God wants to come into your life right now and rewrite your life, readjust, redo, recreate all that's been wrong and you've got to let him get in there like a mechanic and start throwing parts out and saying this is garbage, this is all rubbish, this isn't useful like Paul says and he says and, and allow him to fix the things that need to be fixed. Anything that the world has got negative, God can make right and, and make positive for Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, is the world in your way? I know it's been in my way and it was in my way last week. And I've got to get it out of my way. I've got to let the lusts diminish and the love for the Lord take over. But God can change everything. You get a a letter from the doctor. And says this is your diagnosis that's over that's not the end of the solution there's so much more that God can write even if you have a death sentence from cancer or a clinical depression God can evaluate and diagnose and at the end regardless you are going to be right and healed and in heaven if that's the only place that we are healed but God The written Word of God can transform and change anything and everything about who you are. This is such a beautiful text. I was talking to my buddy Dustin about it and he was saying, nobody's left out, little children. That means everybody. That that believes the young who are who are fighting for the kingdom of God, the missionaries, and those that want to go out and go into unsung regions and 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 plant new churches, and and then those that are mature that are paying their tithes and serving and being the backbone of the church. It means no one's left out. But not only that, do you know that Christ died and He forgave even the people that hate God? That. are are disgruntled with God, that they think there's no God, that blood was cleansed and washed and right for them as well. No one is left out in the Word of God. That is so mind-boggling and amazing. And if you allow the Word of God to become part of your life, your life can be radically transformed too. You know, in the live service at 10 o'clock, I've got these words written by God to you because of who you are. And it just reminds me, like I said, my sister teaches this identity class, and you understand what words are in the Bible that are you specifically, you have an opportunity to, to watch your life be radically changed. Here's some of them. I'm just going to put them up. I'm going to roll whatever the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. Let that happen. Receive it, trust it, stand up, put a high five, a hallelujah in the chat chat bar and watch God work. First one says that I have been accepted for uh, uh, uh by Christ. Listen, I've done so many things I shouldn't even be in church. I don't pass a life scan because of my criminal background, but I am accepted. I have been new and created in Christ so that my background and my felonies no longer hold me back because I am new and I've been washed and created in Jesus Christ. I am justified in Christ and not justified by a judge. We're not condemned in God because of what Christ did. We are a child of God because we claim Jesus as Lord. We are a friend of Jesus. Don't you need a friend right now? Man, COVID has been lonely. You're a friend in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're watching. You're like, I am so lonely. Whatever this guy's talking about, it doesn't make sense. My depression and my loneliness is killing me. Listen, you have a friend in Jesus. Open up your Bible and read John 15 and watch that you can get connected to the vine and have a friend in Jesus. You have been justified and you've been redeemed through Jesus Christ. You have been adopted and you are now an heir. You have the opportunity to spend from Christ's checking account, from his bank account, from his spiritual riches. You are part of that. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit where Christ dwells. You are uh, the righteousness of God. You are made one with all other believers because Jesus is Lord and Savior over your life. You're no longer a slave but a child of God. You are set free in Jesus Christ. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. Your sins no longer matter. Christ has washed them and put them in the sea of forgetfulness. You are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus and what He did on the cross. You are made alive in Christ. If you dead and you're ready to give in and stop life, you are alive in Christ, trust it, receive it and use that life because He has made you and set you free. You are seated in a heavenly place. You don't have to be seated in that car being homeless you can be free and sat in a heavenly place, far greater than anything that you can imagine. You are a citizen of heaven. You are made complete in Christ. And finally, you who are watching, who feels desperate and uh, uh, unholy, You're, you're riddled with sin, you are a masterpiece. God has made you and maybe you don't see it, but that doesn't mean that it's not finished or he's not doing something. That doesn't mean that he's not molding you and shaping you to become the better you if you really commit to the word of God. You are a masterpiece. You are the glory of God. All your imperfections that you see, he thinks them as perfect because he wants to shine through those imperfections. You, you're a masterpiece. And it's sometimes so hard to realize. But the word of God is there for all. And I'm sure one of those words fits wherever you're at. I know when I read them, I get so full of joy and so full of life. I just want to jump out and out of my skin and shout, Jesus is Lord. And I want to tell you right now, you have a friend in Jesus and he's speaking to you. The only way that we can really impact other people's lives is share our story with other people. And I want to share a story. Jesus died for you and that story can become your story and your story can change and, share, and change other people's lives. All you need to do is accept Him, accept the words that was read, live by those words and watch your life explode for the glory of God. I'm so grateful that you're here today. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is moving and I ask as we get ready to pray and close, that you just give God a few more minutes of your time and listen to the prayer, receive the words that God has given you and change your life. And let that person in the, in, in the chat room know that Jesus is alive right now. And let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for sharing your son and impacting our life. Holy Spirit moves so so powerfully right now. Whatever word was read to that person online that's sitting on their couch right now that feels horrible about what they did last night or where their life is at or where their bank account's at, Lord, I ask that the word of God transforms them and they realize that they are an heir and they are right with God and they are a child of God and they're no longer a slave to this world. Father, I know that there's someone out there that's desperate for a Savior that doesn't believe that nobody on this earth loves them. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know there's at least one and his name is Jesus. And he wants to love you right into the kingdom. If you're here today and you're listening to this, I pray right now that you just repeat this simple prayer, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and watch your life change if you're willing to grow with God from this moment forward. If that's you. Just pray with me, Father. Forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done with my life. Take all those words of negative and and destructive behavior in my life. Take those words and get rid of my out of my mind and give me clarity. Tell the Lord that uh, uh, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean of those sins. He died upon the cross for me. He rose again three days later. And I pray right now that you allow the Holy Spirit to take over my life so that I can walk with you. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you shall be saved and watch your life be radically transformed. We claim victory in Jesus Christ because of that prayer. In the name above names, amen. We're so grateful that you joined us today. Make sure that you sign up uh, uh, online and let them know, hey, I'm new in Christ if you said that prayer. Or if you need a prayer request, we want to pray for you. We want to be a part of your life. And if you're lonely and you're depressed and you're shut in or sheltered, let us know. Let the person know on Facebook and we'll reach out to you and we'll send some sort of care package or love request to you so that we can be a part of your life. We're grateful that you are tuned in. Make sure you check out the DNA course. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Have a great day in the Lord. God bless you. God is with you and God always loves you. Thank you.